0: Hello and welcome to The Punt, brought to you in association with William Hill. Remember to gamble responsibly and visit johnlouis.net on how to do so. This is the 42 show in which we look ahead to the biggest sporting events of the month. And this time around, we're going to focus on the Premier League run-in and a little bit of Cheltenham Festival as well, which, which is less than a month away to talk me through the football. Firstly, I'm delighted to be joined by David Snade, Johnny Ward and Miguel Delaney. How are things, gents? Not too well. oh, good, Gavin. I probably should have asked you individually in retrospect, but you're <laughs> all doing well. Uh, we'll kick straight into it. Miguel, I remember, and I don't mean to trip you up from the off here because I agreed with you at the time, but I remember you were talking about Manchester City only a few months ago. I think it was on second catches. And there was a sense that you were relaying from the club or people within it that there was an element of pet Guardiola fatigue had set in. And that maybe after this, uh, at the end of this kind of biblical run he had been on with them, which uh, maybe felt like it was drawing uh, towards its natural conclusion at the end of last season, that, you know, the demands psychologically and physically uh, were beginning to take their toll on the squad and uh, arguably that they'd reached the end of their tether with him. And even at the start of this season, it felt as though City were a little bit off the pace, took a while to get going. What's changed? Why, why are they now unstoppable? And are you surprised to see how quickly they've managed to turn it around. Uh,
1: I'm maybe surprised from that perspective, in the sense of kind of the whole personalities and you know, the fatigue of Guardiola. I'm not surprised in terms of what the club are. I think this is a point worth stressing because if there's any club that can withstand all the rigors of a global pandemic and the congested schedule, and all the rest of it, it's a club with a with a state's backing, basically, or an Emirates backing, everyone put it. But I mean, leaving that aside already, I suppose, an extension of that you can still I think uh, credit Guardiola with what he's doing because it is true when you spoke to a lot, a lot of kind of players around October September and connected the players, the vibe was that it was just this kind of because he is you can see on the line Pep Guardiola is an intense manager and that will have a psychological fatigue um, and it, uh, but it's also it's a psychological fatigue that will come out more. When things aren't going well, I mean, you know, players are humans. and I mean, things are going badly; they wouldn't play more. When things go well, suddenly a lot of uh, a lot of issues start to get waved away. And to be to Guardiola, at that point, I think from from what we've we've heard from around the club, and that at that at that point, when everyone was thinking that they they're actually they're on a bad run; they'd lost their way. He was kind of tinkering with the team, and what I do remember hearing, to be fair, around October, November, that him and his staff had got together and adjusted their fitness schedule because they realised they couldn't they couldn't train the same way when in this situation where they haven't had a proper pre-season and they've had a game every three days. So that was one thing they tweaked. And he's obviously tweaked the way they play football. And that's gradually led to this build-up in form where they're now on this unstoppable run. They all think Guardiola's well, a genius again. And far from intense, he suddenly looks very relaxed on the line. I mean... I was at Arsenal City on Sunday, and the way Arsenal have the press box now, or the press seats, they're actually very close to the benches. I remember like, when they played United, we could hear everything Solskjaer was telling Rashford, including a few disparaging comments about the Arsenal players. Um, but usually associate with those games, you see Guardiola kind of manic almost, and he's, kind of, he's histrionics. Whereas here he was completely relaxed, and I think that reflects um, the mood of the club right now and why they're in the form they're in. Uh, although, I mean, there's an interesting thing there as well, where in terms of the league, it's already wrapped it up, in terms of the Champions League, is there a slight danger of peaking too soon uh, given previous seasons? But, you know, right now they look extremely strong.
0: When you allude to the tweak in fitness training there. Like, there was a comedy made some weeks back now where he was asked about, about the turnaround in form and he pointed towards the fact that they previously had been running too much. Uh, and I don't know whether it may be a, a, a simplistic way of, of looking at it, or is it a simplistic way of looking at things to ask people, like, is this about, in that old cliche, making the ball do the work for you a little bit more than they have been doing it this the season? Because it feels so well-oiled now. It feels like all the pieces are moving in unison, if feel like. And it doesn't necessarily require uh, too much individualism, albeit there are flashes of individual brilliance, but it's more or less... Uh, machine-like in you know, how they go about their business.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was, was probably just him kind of, you know, it was a necessarily simplistic portrayal of something a bit deeper than he's doing. I mean, because if you look at the last few years of European football, what's won it has basically been intense pressing and that kind of dominates the game now. But if teams team is trying to do that this season, they'll just fatigue themselves and run out of steam. So what he's doing, I mean, like, Guardiola has been influenced from his time in Germany in that way. So what, what he's basically doing, he, he, he wants his players... From what we've been told, he told his players to stop making those breaks, stop making those intense runs, and play a more controlled game. And it's just it's allowed them to be more composed uh, and maybe a little less maybe uh, explosive than than some of their best performances of the past few seasons. But I mean,
0: look at the run. <laughs> it speak for itself, David. It is only a few weeks ago as well that. Manchester United were top of the table briefly. And look, I don't know that there were any uh, people who genuinely follow football who believed United could sustain a title challenge. Maybe you were one, I'm not sure. Uh, But I guess in hindsight now, um, when the talk at the time as United started to drop off was that it felt like a missed opportunity for them, given the irregularities of this season, it's starting to feel less and less like that now because. (laughs) I don't think anybody can live with City. and United certainly have probably shown evidence over the last few years that they would have been able to stay the course with this Manchester City team.
2: Yeah, like, it's kind of, if you, look, if you look at Man City now, I think Miguel touched on it there, as well as having that kind of just sense of total control in games, they just have a sense of, a, like it's strange, but a sense of power about them in just how they do control it. Like they have fellas who, are who can be physical, and that does, that does come true. But the way City C- just do have that totals at the moment, anyway, because sense of his total control. I was chatting to Richard Dunn about this last week, and it was just because I wanted to try and get his point of view from someone who's obviously <laughs> played the game professionally and played at that level in terms of Premier League. And he's like, he was looking at it and made the point, City don't do anything extraordinary in the sense of with their passing. Everything is short and sharp. Like You don't see loads of... Like, there's magic in what they do, but you don't see huge pieces of brilliance. There's real structured play and it's just patterns of play that are repeated and they just absolutely kill teams with that simplicity and it's just, they've got a total balance throughout the whole team and you watch them, it was interesting, Like we watched them last night and they did actually press Munchenglava quite a lot. They did actually like really, really put them under pressure. That's what obviously forced a couple of mistakes, but then when they do have the ball, there's not that kind of sense of, well, they have to keep that that kind of maybe that sense of pressure going on, they just then almost grind teams down. They're able to just pass the ball so well, and there's always space, there's always people moving. And it, it that kind of had been lost a little bit with them, I think, last year. And I don't know if it's an oversimplification of talking about Guardiola and his maybe a bit more, a bit of calmness because you did seem to be a bit of a madman on the line yesterday. But like maybe it's a bit simplistic to say that the, the new assistant that we brought in to replace Arteta, who obviously I think it's. I'm probably ruining in this pronunciation, but is it Juanma Lilo or Lilo? Lilo um, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah. And like you're just kind of doing a bit of reading on him and stuff and you kind of get you, almost how Guardiola, Guardiola went to, went to play in Mexico just yeah. to kind of work, work with him. I and mean, there could be a sense, I don't know, I don't think his English is great, it's something that Guardiola has spoken about, but he seems to have brought that little bit of calmness and a little bit of, I don't know, just maybe even to Guardiola's own methods. Maybe that's another reason why he was at, was willing to maybe change a little bit because he had someone there who like, even his reading at the, at the weekend, he seen like so that's just who Guardiola looks up to a little bit and was maybe willing to take a bit of a voice from him too. So if you, you tie in that with just having a team that has, and this can't be overestimated really, just a team that has serious balance about it and like fellas who all know their jobs I and mean, that is the simplest of, of, of football yeah. too. You have fellas in there who know exactly what they have to do and carry it out and that's leading to reasons why you're not seeing some even mistakes from Ederson that maybe last year he was making like he seems so cut them out as well and the defence everyone's spoken about it's it's incredible like I think what 15 goals in the Premier League and five of them were against Leicester like and when maybe things were getting which were, were obviously maybe not at the level they are now so they're just as you say, I say really like they have they've just really kicked into form and are just showing that real sense of just just knowing what they're doing, every single one of them. There's no there's no ambiguity there. Every single player in that squad knows exactly what they have to do for a manager.
3: But just just
1: I mean, them mentioned the assistant there just before Johnny comes in. I mean, so, so the question about I suppose the players initially getting fatigued by Guardiola, that does tie into something bigger. I mean, Ferguson used to always say the most you have on any team is a three or four year cycle, which he's had with, with most of these players and why he's starting to face them on. But one of the things that Ferguson did as well as kind of make drastic changes in team like in 95-2001, he used to regularly change his assistants for a different voice and they changed the chemistry. And I think David is right there. Uh, also, as you say, like, it's a different relationship. Arteta was someone who very much looked up to Pep as a mentor, whereas Leo is someone that Guardiola looks up to a mentor. So it, do, it does just change the chemistry as well. I think it probably feeds into this.
0: Johnny, I'd like to bring you in uh, to give me a vibe. Like you like the, the kind of romance of football and uh, you're a man who appreciates great art, as we can see behind you there. So when you're <laughs> watching this Manchester City team, uh, do you enjoy yourself? Because I've seen people sort of relate them to or equate them to that great Spanish team of the previous decade. But then that's sort of like uh, that the stick with which... Uh, that they were beaten was like this element of supposed sterile domination or whatever kind of variation of that phrase that you want to use. I've seen it used on this Manchester City team. I feel as though it might be just from uh, begrudging fans of other clubs, to be honest, at the moment, because the, maybe the the uh, fatigue that is set in among fans is purely City are winning every single game and sort of winning them uh, routinely and in a similar way. I don't find them boring to watch, though. What is your impression of this City team?
3: Yeah, they're like they're kind of like the the team that will define um, football behind closed doors to an extent where you've a lot an awful lot of games and it's kind of got, gotten, gotten to the stage now where some teams have sort of really struggled and they're kind of in in go, going into kind of no man's land where City have emerged from that blip earlier in the season where I genuinely thought like. I Like what you're saying about Guardiola, to me, they look like at the end of last season um, that they kind of lost their mojo. And how are they going to reinvent themselves this season? And they started the season, remember the Leicester game, and you're like, where is this team going? Liverpool, when they beat uh, Palace 7-0, um, and they've done all this with so many players out, I remember that day thinking, you know, where this title looks like it's over. And then since since around that time... City not only keeping clean sheets, but just winning games in this really, really methodical, routine manner. And what, like, where are you a situation where a team is effectively now running away with the league and they've won player in the top 10 scorers in the entire Premier League? And that's Gundogan, um, which is absolutely baffling because they've done this without having like this kind of, like this regular goal-getting striker. Aguero's been out and the mad thing is, like I, I'm watching them without De Bruyne, and I almost enjoy watching them more. It's it's really weird. And he's possibly like one of my favourite players in the world. But what Gundogan has done in that team, um, it's it's hard to describe the way they play. But it's just so I I I guarantee these Man City players will look back in this time in their life and think. There was no one at those games, but I absolutely love playing in that team. And there's a real there's a real kind of hunger and heart in them. Just watching them last night, they did press really hard, as David Snade said, but they just go out onto the pitch now and they just feel, I think, they, they, the players individually feel like they're just going to dominate the game and they're brilliant to watch in a kind of a strange way where it's not really high octane. And as Miguel was saying, when you look at last year, like one season kind of rolled into the other, but in the three months or so, there was no football. These teams, they hadn't just stopped. Like, so they were still, so Liverpool have, have massive signs of fatigue, but City clearly reset the batteries. And I do think the players were hurt by what Liverpool did last season. I think they're hurt by their failures in the Champions League. Um, And Miguel is saying that they might have peaked too early. I actually don't think they peaked yet. I think that they have De Bruyne to come back in and they've just gotten this system now where their defense is extremely mean and, like, Ruben Diaz, that signing has been absolutely massive. They really... I think they'd one-shot on target last night, the 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 Germans. And it was like, City just... They, they just completely control games. And I, I would really fancy them to win the Champions League the way they're looking at the moment, because the league is basically over. They can kind of stroll through that. And I think they... These players... I, I I think they'll struggle to enjoy football any more than they are right now because of the way they play and because of their control and because of the genius of Guardiola. And I th- I think the, the assistant manager must have had an influence because they've totally changed the way they play compared to the Guardiola we would have been used to. But I love watching them play. They, they are, To me, they're kind of the team that has defined football behind closed doors. There's almost no emotion to it. It's methodical and it's just brilliant. It is just a
2: little point... Of- that's been even enjoyable a little bit this year as well. Is just seeing Cancelo too, and just that. Like, I know maybe he did something with, with Lamb where he kind of changed Lamb's position, but look, like, I don't know, he, he seems Gradiola or if it's or whoever it was, he seems to almost have invented this new role for a player. Do you know what I mean? And it's actually great, great to watch it. And you see him la- last night whipping in, the, whipping in those two balls, and it just looks. Totally different player than what he was. He can listen. Not going wrong, It's not as if they've unearthed him like he came from you know what I mean. He's been. He's a top. He's a top quality performer, and it's kind of scary what he might do against Ireland when when Portugal play. But like to actually see, to actually see this in front, of you developing in terms of because you're going to see this. Maybe this will be coaches will be looking at what's happened here, and will be maybe trying to replicate it. And it's going to be interesting to see. It's just another way. If you look at Guardiola's great team with with Barca and stuff. He's doing something, whether or not they hit those same heights, like they're well on course for it because, like, it, it takes something extraordinary now for them not to win the league. I think they can afford a small bit of a drop off. Like, this has always been a team with the Champions League and the league. Guardiola can almost afford a small bit of a drop off and drop a couple of points here and there because there's no one really capable, I don't think, of going on a run to even put them under pressure, even if they do lose a couple of games. So it's just, it's, 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 it's it's actually could be quite incredible what happens at the end of the season if they if they haven't peaked that's the only thing that can stop them now because they've shown they can deal with injuries it's whether or not they have peaked too soon you know like Johnny says I don't think they have I think they even if they just maintain this level or a little bit around I just don't see who can stop them it's I think it could only be a one-off game in the Champions League or in the FA Cup that have an off day that that would stop them, you know. You
3: you wonder as well, like does de Bruyne actually walk straight back into that team? Because like how, how would you tinker with the way? It, in... yeah. Do you know he <laughs> <I laughs> does.
2: Like when Gab was saying when Gab when Gab was saying earlier about about enjoying City, like I just love watching Kevin De Bruyne kick mm. the football. Yeah. And just like just the way he moves, just the way he does it and it's like it's glorious. Even just really? it's, even just the way he kicks the ball. It's, it's so ridiculous. It's so simple, mm. but like, he's just and that vision he has, and just the stuff that you can do first time, you're looking at him thinking.
3: And he would have struggled to pass the ball better than Cancelo for the first goal last night.
2: Yeah, well, that's it. Like think about yeah. it.
3: Yeah. But, but you're, I
1: mean, it's just the way it, you're right. The so way he strikes the ball, and it's something and said at goals. But he's basically got he's got every pass in his locker, and some passes they haven't even thought of. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I, I think he's the best to watch in the league at the moment. Uh, but just, as, as regards we, Europe. Sorry, go on.
2: I was gonna, I was going to make it just a fairly funny, very jo- funny joke there, like. Kevin De Bruyne is now the best backup, or uh, the best backup left back in the league, isn't he? When you think about how Steve like, <laughs> I
1: know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but as regards to Europe, though, I think there could be an interesting thing in that there is a slight. This happened in 2017, 18, when they were running away with the league 100 points. That not that they get complacent, but they're so used to a certain manner of victory in England, then it'll come to a big Champions League game, and far from Guardiola being relaxed about or just continue that form he actually doubles down on what he always does We just think he has to try and do something special in Europe that suddenly kind of distorts mm. their games uh, and, a, and a good team might be able to take advantage, advantage of. I mean even, like, even when they beat Liverpool 4-1 to be fair in that game the Salah penalty comes from a simple ball over the top that Diaz doesn't deal with like there are probably still a few vulnerabilities there that haven't really been tested yet um, like PSG
2: like PSG could do serious damage against yeah him. Like that was one thing yesterday that surprised me about Gladbach, is the two times that they actually got the ball through quick, down the sides, Ederson had to be alert and had to come out and, and sweep up a little bit. Like They are susceptible to the way you play with Cancelo and even sometimes Walker with his position. Like they're not totally infallible here. Like a, a, like a team of the level of the PSG could beat them, obviously, of course, and, and Bayern Munich. But like that is, I think, where the weakness is. Teams have to do things quickly against them and Not play long balls, but it is essentially long balls, but it's being smart with them. That is the best way of getting at them, you would would think. And a team like United as well on the counter would be ideal to set up. It's just whether or not they're in a position to actually do because City do always seem to have so much control against.
3: It's interesting you mentioned, Edison, because like Liverpool were so kind of, they, they banked on Van Dijk in one-on-one situations as this, like if we do get caught in this high-octane game we play, Van Dijk will be able to look after it if it's a one-on-one. And you can see Edison is almost like an auxiliary kind of last-man defender at times, the way he's, he's so quick off his line. It was like really striking watching that last night. Because City do, like the way they play, there is that space in behind, not that they're lacking pace necessarily at the back, but he is just there, he's ready, he's on guard, because he's so little to do in a game. It's basically his job at the moment is actually to cut out to be that last man defender. And um, he's he's a like when you consider him to the season that Alisson has had, like you couldn't trust Alisson at all to do the job that we'll say Edison c- can do. And he's he's a fascinating role in that team as well.
0: Do we want to chat about Liverpool and get into the Reno a little bit as well and Spurs and what's going on there? But uh, because you touched upon them, David, and because I'm sure viewers or listeners to this podcast would be apoplectic if you don't. give them a mention like you've been a big advocate for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or at least what he's doing at United. At least you've been less critical than a lot of your peers let's say in football media. They're 14 points better off in the league than they were at this stage last season which is an indication of progress obviously. There does seem to be an element of them being harder to beat this time around as well and yet when they got to the top of the league it felt like they just had a nosebleed. I'm not sure if the Belief is truly there, even on behalf of the manager, to go on and challenge City. I think they're they're probably looking at this through a more long term prism. And he, listen, Solter knows those players better than anybody at this point, uh, and he probably felt as though they couldn't maintain the challenge. Where do you think United are? Like, are you like, if for United fans, can they be satisfied with the level of progress they've made this season, or do you feel as though it's too much for kind of a slow burning process, like for them to actually go on and become league contenders in the next couple of years?
2: Well, I think there's well, there's definitely reasons to be satisfied in terms of the improvement and the progress that we been made this year um and obviously where they are in the league and and stuff like that. But then you have to look at it through the prism of well, who are the best team in the league at the moment and it's Man City. And you're kinda of looking at are this Man United team capable of being as strong as this Man City team? And because and, if this is if that's the standard now that City have have once again set are this Man United team capable of getting there at the moment and it's the answer obviously at the moment is no and it's just a case now of whether or not does, at the end of this season what would be coming from the point of view of if United have a strong finish to this season and finish a strong second I think it'd be too much they're not going to like obviously win the league now they had their chance were at the top and they just weren't able to maintain that as you see you're showing that there's just a little of levels above at the moment. Things can change very quickly in football, though, and dynamics of teams can change. But if United have a strong second, whereby it's not a struggle to just finish in the top four, and they do well in the Cup, Europa League, do well in the FA Cup, but winning one of those, I think that gives Solskjaer a bit of clue and a bit of reason, and then to actually maybe try and get money in in the summer. But it's going to be difficult as well because you don't know how COVID's actually going to affect what they can what they can do. Um, but I would say it's clear now that they have to obviously buy in the defensive areas. Goalkeeper, I don't know whether or not they're like it's everyone knows who, about the hay and the money he's on. Like, do you feel maybe they're stuck with him? Do you feel Henderson's offer? up for it? But I think this season they to be showing up some of those weaknesses because like they've conceded 32 goals in the league, like they've conceded the same amount as Fulham and Brighton. You look at what seat you have, it's like 15, and that's that's where. That's where the weaknesses have been, we talked about that sense of control, a city having games, and that maybe sense of power. Like United, I don't think have that. They, they even though they have such a good record away from home, you, you still go into games with uh, watching Man United, and you, you always sense there is a vulnerability there. They haven't got that strength, I don't think, in terms of a team of teams going in and, and feeling as if they're up against. I think teams will still feel as if they can get at United and get into that level of a city where it's almost damage limitation. That's where they're still a bit a bit further away from, and that can come. You look at the attacking players and the age profile of them, and obviously midfielders too. Like I think that comes from being solid at the back. That like nowhere else. Like you might have great attacking players, which I think United do, but if if you're still vulnerable at the back, teams are always going to fancy themselves and have that little feeling that they can do something against you. And that's what I think at by the end of this year, as I say, United do really kick on as and, and finish the season strongly and maybe get over that mental block of actually winning something under Solskjaer. it could be a big thing for him then in the summer to actually go and strengthen because he has shown he has shown in the market so far that he's gotten he's gotten good players. He's clearly got a eye for a player and the way he kind of recruits by speaking to by actually going and speaking to people about players as well not just leaving it up to other people. That does seem to have made a bit of a difference with some of the players he's brought in.
0: Miguel, could United be one transformative defensive signing away from being league title contenders? There are probably still issues in attack in terms of, uh, well, I guess game plans to to borrow some rugby parlance, like in terms of how they actually go about winning games, particularly when teams uh, sit back against them. But do you need uh, somebody next to, like, I don't know, this is, I guess, my own opinion, but watching Harry Maguire, for example, who they probably feel is too big an investment to cast to one side, uh, he strikes me as just like a sort of a beta defender. If you like, he needs a sort of a village type next to him. Maybe they intended for him to be that figure in that they made him captain and uh, clearly they, they probably felt as though he would have uh, quite a lot of defensive stability from a physical perspective as well. But it does feel as though he just needs a more solid guy next to him and allow him to play a little bit of football if that's what he, he sort of brings to the table. Do you think somebody like, say, Koundé from Sevilla is, 23-year-old French defender, they're linked with him, or is there somebody out there that could afford McGuire that luxury of, I guess, focusing a little bit more on what he's good at and therefore shoring up United's defence as an overall uh, defence.
1: Yeah, I do think United need to sign a defender. I think if it was, if it was a season, if the sort of season that we expected this one to be, which would say, it's so open till December, we're thinking it's going to be uh, a, still a, an unpredictable campaign would say, 75 or 80 points winning the league. They could have won the league with signing in that season. But the issue, the medium-term issue with Solskjaer for me remains that while England has a big six or a big four now, if you like, one of the other big four will always have a better manager, be that uh, Guardiola, be that Klopp, despite Liverpool's problems right now, or even Chelsea. I mean, has a better manager than Lampard, but they ultimately got rid of Lampard and got in uh, Tuco, who's, I mean, despite what happened in 2019, probably a level above Solskjaer. Uh, like, I have to say, um, Solskjaer's done a lot better than, I've expe- than I expected. Uh, and, like, there actually, there's a lot of good things about what he does at United, and not least the kind of mood among the team, certainly compared to Mourinho. And all the players like him, there's really good man management, and he's done some good things tactically, but you still can't really say that he's acting close to top class. I think it's always going to be the concern, unless. He starts doing stuff like Dave mentioned there. Because like, I, I do think he start, he's starting We're getting to the point where he actually needs a trophy to, yeah. to, to, to you know, justify the faith in, in what the club is doing. Um, and I, think, I think there was maybe a little bit of wavering around October when they had that 6-1. But really, and, and part of this is because Woodward is so tied to the appointment with Solskjaer, they're, they're, he's really invested in them. And I think it would take something very, very drastic to be a change. But at the same time, it's also feeling like it needs something a bit more drastic to really justify this. And I think th- they do need to win a trophy at least this season. And and this, this run of form is is a little bit interesting as well because they obviously been in such a- they they have been on a good winning run uh, going from twenty twenty into twenty twenty one. And now we've just had a little bit of a drop off. And like the- one thing that's defined Solskjaer's time more than anything else, they've gone on streaks where they've gone on these runs that suddenly make him look like a genius. And then on these, they're immediately followed by runs that make him look like a clown, uh, and we're, we're both extremes in the commentary. Uh, and so I think United need to consolidate a bit in that way, and, and hopefully, and not and stop this current drop off becoming a bit more problematic. And that will tell us a lot more, I think.
0: Let's chat about Liverpool then a little bit before we get on to Jose Mourinho and. Miguel, I'll stick with yourself. Like, you mentioned there that uh, Klopp is going to be around and he's going to be a better manager than Solskjaer. He's, he's naturally enough going to be one of the top managers in the league. Um, that being said, he has a job and a sense to sort of turn this uh, run of form around. Uh, people, on, like, people are aware of the stats, obviously. Four home defeats in a row in the league, which is absolutely inconceivable to people probably born on this side of the millennium or even around that time. That feels inconceivable. And then they've seen some pretty bad Liverpool teams. So... Uh, it does feel like um, at this stage of collapse, there are mitigating factors again, which everybody is aware of. But from his point of view, how does he actually take them out of this hole? Because it feels as though, at a, on a couple of occasions in which they've seemed to turn the corner, you think, a West Ham away, and even maybe uh, in the Champions League last week. Pa- yeah, Palace, big time. Uh, around the corner from that has been another major setback. This uh, most recent one is obviously exacerbated By the loss of Jordan Henderson Albeit is he that big of a loss When he's been playing in a centre-back pairing That has been shipping goals for fun Uh, What does Klopp do really To to turn this around from this juncture Or is it actually just about Getting to the end of the season Sneaking into the top four And taking the the summer to rebuild
1: Well I mean Some of the feeling you mentioned It's probably relative to the fact that For Liverpool fans And for just the whole club as well Klopp really was infallible and now we have this situation where not necessarily that they obviously want rid of him right now. he now. He's still seen as an absolute god and just fighting so given he, uh, he you know, ended the 30-year wait and all that. But suddenly there's the, questions. And the view within the club is generally that as soon as they get the main players back, things will be fine. And I, I think that's a fair view. But equally, that doesn't preclude the possibility. And I think this is true that they could have done much better even in this situation. Because it, say, if Van Dyke is so crucial to this way of playing as defining the club, then surely in certain games, they can adapt it a bit. To, I mean, all right, so while the injuries explain why they've had a, a drop-off and haven't necessarily defended their title well, it, I mean, the injury shouldn't automatically lean into dropping so many points to teams that they're still so much better at. That, that, that's where the real concern is this season and where more could be asked the club and why, I suppose, the extent of the form has been so you know striking uh, and you and you i mean a classic example as you say i mean there's been all this worry about how they don't have henderson at center half well from where i can see the experiment with henderson at center half hasn't worked at all <laughs> they've lost most of the games with them there so <laughs> maybe take a chance on one of the kids there and put henderson back into midfield so you're not losing it in two areas
0: Johnny, uh, your impressions of Liverpool over the last couple of weeks and how like, I suppose it's a similar question, but how would you anticipate Klopp actually goes about this? Like he has, so you've heard so many people say that they sort of haven't strengthened from a position of strength, if you like, a little bit like what Miguel was saying with uh, Alex Ferguson earlier in the show and... I don't know, it it feels a little bit disingenuous when you consider like Diogo Jota had actually uh, quite a profound impact on the team when he was in there, he just got injured. And that seemed to really freshen up uh, the attacking three, including actually uh, Roberto Firmino, briefly. Like is it a case of having to bring in more fresh faces fresh legs and so on because as we were talking about with at the start of the show and and the kind of psychological fatigue that can set in when you play the way liverpool have played for the last couple of years it is natural to experience not only psychological fatigue but actually physical physical fatigue as well at this juncture so like is it a case of actually needing new personnel or do you just need the reset of a summer break where people can actually take their foot off the gas a little bit
3: yeah, they, the Liverpool badly need a reset. Like, you, 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 when you consider now, they are in for a real fight, finishing the top four. Um, and that, that, for me, should be their main ambition. Obviously, they want to win the Champions League, but they really need to finish in the top four because that would be, be a bit of, bit of a disaster of a season, to be fair, considering the position they were in after that Palace game, where they were effectively odds on to win the title at that stage. They scored seven goals against Palace, and their next three games, which were generally against run of the mill opposition Southampton, West Brom, and I can't remember the other, I think it was Newcastle, they had seven shots on target in those three games combined. And it was like, how can they go from this, like, granted Minamino scored after a minute or two against Palace, and they kind of steamrolled them after that. But I was thinking, how have Liverpool done this without all these players? And they are a classic team who really, really struggled with the demands of this ridiculous season, really, because there's literally a game every three days, every two or three days. This is from a club that had this really, really high-octane, uh, high-energy game for, for, what are we talking, two to three seasons, didn't really get a proper off-season. And you, you, you honestly couldn't make up the stuff. I mean, it was in The Athletic the other day. Where Jordan Henderson was just like, Are you are you seriously taking the piss here when he got injured himself? You could hear him actually say, You must be kidding me, this can't be happening. And Jordan Henderson's injury is by the way, Jordan Henderson at center back is he's a he's a poor center back. I mean, Miguel is absolutely right. I, I was having this debate with a few Liverpool fans. I was like, I, I've been basically kind of saying that they're they're vulnerable in these games with Henderson's centre-back and they were like, no, he's doing a great job. He's not a centre-back. I mean, he's had a really good like career for Liverpool that he's the leader in the team in many respects. He's the guy that you can always hear in the pitch. But he's not a centre-back. And then you put a centre-back beside him who himself is struggling for confidence and is getting booked and making mistakes in every game. Henderson is missing if he's in midfield. But Liverpool... They, their intensity has dropped, and I'm not sure what it is. I mean, even like Allison's father has passed away in the last couple of days. So many things have gone wrong. Klopp's mother has passed away, all these things off the pitch, the injuries that they've had, and they just need a massive reset because um, I know after like one, one of the four games they lost, I think, they had like a, a kind of a team meeting. And for me, that's always a little bit worrying because the manager is kind of almost seeding He's almost suggesting there. I am struggling a bit here. We need to talk about this. What's going wrong? Um, but they've become they've become a team that's not that hard to play against. I think. And Graham soon alluded to this after the game against Everton. Like they're, they're, if they're not a soft target at the moment, they're not that hard to play against because teams have kind of figured them out. And their players are have. Like, you look at Trent Alexander-Arnold compared to last season. How do you explain that, the drop in quality from this player? And they just need a reset. This I, I completely believe Klopp will turn this around, but they need Van Dijk back. And they need Alisson to get his confidence back. They need Firmino and Mane to to figure out what's going on with them. And they definitely need an off-season. They need a break because the players just look very, very tired. And I, it's hard to see them win the Champions League, but they really, really do face a battle. Finish in the top four, and what happens with Salah then is going to be interesting as well. Because if they didn't have him this season, where would they be?
0: David, will they finish in the top four? Do you reckon?
3: I, I mean, like I was making the point, they did a really tough run of games which involved um, Leicester and Man City coming along. And so I looked at their fixtures today, they have a very tough April as well. The two of their next three games are very winnable, but I think they've, they've Villa Leeds and one of the top teams in April. Um, at the moment i don't fancy them to be honest i think um it's going to be really difficult for alisson i mean if you look at the, the season that he's had he's lost his father who was in his he was only in his 50s to a tragic a really tragic death so like how can you expect him to even perform for the rest of the season he must be in an awful place at the moment you add that into the problems that they're having, like centre-back. centre, centre back. And bear in mind, their full-backs aren't really having a great season by their standards. So Liverpool, to me, I think they'll definitely struggle. The way Chelsea are playing, I'd fancy Chelsea to finish ahead of them. And that'll probably be enough, because I think Leicester Man United will as well whether West Ham can keep it up or not I'm not sure but Liverpool just aren't a great side at the moment even when they beat Leipzig they were gifted two goals by a team with no striker uh, who created plenty of chances against them And I thought if, if Leipzig had scored at 2-1 they'd actually have a chance in Anfield because you mentioned that they've lost four games in row in Anfield it doesn't matter anymore there's no crowd there it's just another pitch and I think that that has really hit them as well this season they haven't had that crowd to bring them through games and at the moment they just look a bit of a mid-table side really
0: want to chat a bit Mourinho before we wrap. I'll start with yourself, David, and then bring you in, Miguel. Uh, David, it does feel depressing, regardless, probably, of the club you follow. Maybe less so Arsenal fans, but the inevitability of this. And actually, because for a brief moment there towards the start of the season, it actually felt less inevitable than it had in the previous decade, probably, that late-stage Mourinhoism would set in uh, sometime around sort of January, February, and the wheels would come flying off uh, this particular vehicle, at this point for Spurs like uh, does that feel like a reparable situation or are we at that juncture where we so often are with Mourinho where it's kind of irretrievable at this point that they're uh, in a spiral and he needs rating?
2: yeah like obviously they're in other than the other night when they've gone through in Europa League they're in in terrible form they're not really playing they're not really playing well it's it's a strange one. It, kind of, it does strike me uh, a lot, like uh, similarities in terms of what's happening in the league and with the Cups in terms of his uh, the season in 2017 with United, where obviously like Mourinho pretty much decided to, run, not right off the league, but kind of realised, well, actually, do you know what? The Europa League is a priority in terms of getting into the Champions League. You looked at the squad United had, the way they were playing knew the consistency wasn't really there at that point to do that in the league and to prioritise the cups. Obviously won the league cup during the league cup final this year. There are a lot of similarities there in terms of the, some of the problems that are beginning to materialise with relationships of players. But what I would say is obviously everyone knows Mourinho is all about he is all about results. He hasn't really gotten that much over the last couple of years. It's the only thing that just, justifies what he does is what how the how the team do in terms of what they win. If the best case scenario, obviously, for, for Mourinho in terms of, we talked about earlier, Solskjaer maybe winning a trophy and maybe getting that extra bit of credit and maybe a bit of, I don't know, respect maybe some from other people. I don't think that Mourinho's look needing needing that from what he's already done in his career. But if he, I would imagine he's now at the stage where he you knows top four is beyond them, really essentially, probably just prioritise the Europa League at this point now. Like, he he's in a one-off game to win the League Cup. If he wins that, and then does well in the Europa League and gets to the Europa League final, which they when you look at the, the squad they have again, sports very sports thing to say, but they, they could be a very good cup team. And Mourinho is, is a very good cup manager just in terms of how he can set teams up in, in different situations. I would say that that's the thing that will save him again, is if, if he repeats what he did with United. Now listen, you see what happened the next season with United mm-hmm. and went to absolute bits. So that'll probably happen, don't think, but like I think what that's what will keep them in the job is if they win the I don't think it's that about like see, Spurs could conceivably finish in the bottom half, and I would not be surprised whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But then I also wouldn't be surprised if they also won the two cups, and that's what will keep them in the job and maybe get them to spend another hundred million maybe in the summer if if again and have a come back with it, if COVID allows because clubs clubs have been hit have been hit massively. So, um, that's that's what and it'd be enjoyable. It kind of be interesting to see because it'd be if this chapter in his career, if he actually does pull it off and maybe win a couple of trophies, that's what will keep him obviously in the job at Spurs, really, I suppose. And then next season, is he able to, capable of building on it after a bit of success or will it follow the pattern of what's happened before and just go to bits? So,
3: so in effect, it's better for Spurs if they win nothing this season because he'll be gone.
2: Well, no, I don't think it's ever better for a club not to win something. Like That's the thing. like If they go and win something, does that reinvigorate Mourinho? Does that reinvigorate the squad? Like, you would think now Mourinho should look at Deli Alli and say, Do you know what? If a player is producing like that, even though, it, like, Wolfsburg were not great, really. But, like, if you... have A manager, even he, he might have certain... He might not get on with the player. He might not maybe like how he does, conduct himself maybe around the training, because we saw that in the documentary and stuff. But, like, Deli Alli is a really, really, really good player. And whether or not he can get back to the levels that he was at under, under Pochettino a few years ago, but like he has to try and do something, with him now he's they're in a position where like they have got a lot to play for. They might not in the league they can, in terms of getting Champions League, and it could be hard to motivate certain players when they're not fighting for that. But they still got a lot to play for in the league, and I don't think I don't think any Spurs fan really should be thinking, oh well, let's lose, let's lose, let's lose the uh, the League Cup final and get knocked out just to get rid of Mourinho because. You never know what happened. They win two trophies and it could totally reinvigorate the club and maybe Mourinho too and, and players around the place. And You never know what, where they could go or if, say, it's going to follow a familiar pattern of what happens with Mourinho and eventually you go out the door in, in a blaze of hatred and despair. Well,
1: just when you say that, I mean, look, look he, he won two trophies in his first season at United and they finished second in the second and that season, I mean, superficially, you can say it looked good, but... Really, that season was miserable. The seeds were sown for the fact that he sacked him a few months later. I think it's the thing with... Marie, I, well, actually, just as regards Spurs and trophies, I, I think Dave was right. I mean, you should never want the team not to win a trophy, just for the gl- glory of it and all that. But who were the last two Spurs managers to win a trophy? Quande Ramos and George Graham. Like, I mean... <laughs> I the <laughs> Dude, they're not exactly met, met, remembered in the history of the club. But, like, I mean, the whole was... Mourinho... He's gone. like. Yeah, the whole thing is just so tedious now. Even now, like, even this week, where it's, it's sometimes feel like his only response is to put in a defiant press conference or whatever, the football they're playing is abysmal, business. Mm. Uh, and it like points to all the usual bigger issues. Now, I do think this is uh, a disproportionately low-ebb. In the same way, like, in October, Kane and Son run ludicrously on unsustainably good form. They're probably on an unsustainably bad form now. And they're probably a bit of a levelling out. But... Like, if 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 you want the outlook of your club to be different or to be more promising for medium term future, I don't think Mourinho's the answer anymore. Uh, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, he's on the worst form of his career ever. So and he's ne- he's never worked his way out of a similar situation. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Yeah, there is an inevitability about it. Like just before we wrap, Miguel though, why has this happened this time? Like this time, it actually feels a little bit different. Not in how it's materialised, but in. The origins of it if you like because they were having actually a pretty decent season it's not the case that it's kind of a, a second or third season collapse it's it, from a period of good form to which you allude there involving Kane and Son to kind of like just dropping off a cliff with no conspicuous signs of it or conspicuous kind of uh, indicators that it would happen so like was there a, a turning point or is this just the kind of rot that tends to set in now when he's at the helm of the club
1: no, like, so like a Chelsea in 2014 and 15, because and, that, 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 the slide actually started in the title season. It was a distinctive turning point. And that's when he started to get the players to go on about referees all the time. The, the players thought this was bizarre, given they were, they were top of the league. And it started to break that trust. With this though, it's still, it's still the same principles, but just accelerated. Because I, I think you can kind of see it now. What basically happens with Mourinho, he comes in, he, he speaks with real clarity, especially when analysing opposition teams. And that does well wow people. And he has, he's got a charisma. And that initially wells people, so initially has an effect. Uh, and he's good at certain things. But then, as time goes by, the way he coaches, it's basically, it, it, it's from 15 years ago. Uh, so, when you're playing against better teams, that starts to have an effect. We've seen that in Spurs games. As soon as players drop form, there's no system for them to fall back on. They look clueless often. Then, that starts to bring responses from him uh, in training and in private that, that he, as as was put to me, he starts to play games with players to try and provoke responses. Now it is his attempt at man management, but it doesn't really work with modern players. There's no reaction. Things get worse. Things get a bit rancorous. Then he starts having responses in, in public. And then, you know, we see the usual kind of circus and it just gets into this kind of maelstrom where there feels there's no escape and it's just all, it's all flatlining, which is usually the third season, except with Spurs, there's at least a possibility that it's happened now in, Whatever you want
2: to call this. This feels like about five seasons, though, doesn't it? Because it is. Yeah, event, <laughs> it? that's the yeah, thing. So like yeah. He's actually interior. So, really, he's actually lasted longer in this job than the other. It has felt
0: that way. It has felt that way. In emotional terms. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, but, James,
1: you know, so, yeah,
0: we'll see how he gets
1: out of
0: it. But no problem at all. Thanks very much, man. Miguel, thanks a million. on. Johnny, thank you very much. Johnny Ward and David Snade as well. Johnny, you're going to stick around and chat a little bit about Chapman with myself, the other two gents, will bid us farewell for now. Speak soon, guys. See
1: you, gents. Take care.
0: Well, Johnny Ward, it feels like only yesterday that your Twitter mentions were being lit up with belligerents and vitriol as you attended one of the more controversial Chapman festivals over the last... <laughs> These so years. what did you see? It, it, it feels like it feels like only
3: what yeah, this like Gavin. This honestly feels like three years ago. Like my my concept of what what early of last year was since lockdown. Like honestly, everything that was like January or February or March of last year feels like years ago. I don't know how it's been for you, but
0: uh it's there have been long days uh and long weeks and long months but as an overall package of time it doesn't feel that long ago to me i have to say now that being said i wasn't at the receiving end of some of the abuse uh but Mm. uh it was a listen i'd imagine a very eventful week for you i just want to before we actually get into specific races and things like that like what what's your sort of hype level for this one as a, a fan of the sport as well as a journalist like can you look forward to this with the same kind of vigor as you would typically when there are crowds there and so on
3: yeah like i suppose like it's low like the hype level is i'd say it's about down 80 percent on what it would be and I'm, I'm not i'm not messing there and i think for a lot of people it's the same like they i've just got like uh handicap uh numbers from this year compared to last year, say Irish handicap entries are at their lowest level since two thousand and fourteen, and um, thirty percent down from last year. So th- that just gives you an example. And um, like Cheltenham last year, the the third day of Cheltenham when Sam Crow won, like that was one of the most str- that was one of the strangest experiences of watching a race. So this was the Thursday of Cheltenham. Now the swing in opinion. I, I've never seen anything like it in my 38 years. The swing in opinion from Monday to, to Wednesday in terms of the, the way the virus was going and people's sense of dread. So I remember there were there were definitely doubts in the Thursday in the press room, is racing going to go ahead on Friday. But watching that Sanko race, you did feel, and this is on the Thursday morning, like we shouldn't be here. We should not be here at the, at this stage. Um, this shouldn't have gone ahead. And I felt that like the more it went on for me, I felt ashamed of myself that I didn't know more about the virus at the time. Could have made a now now, pretty much all journalists, bar one or two went over, but some went home early. And I, I didn't really look into it enough. Um I was more worried about what I was going to run at Cheltenham probably. But people like people did slag me a lot at Cheltenham. But like it should be remember, that I was saying on the Wednesday or Thursday, like we 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 were accepting, we shouldn't be here. Um and um it was a strange time, but this year is I mean it's just not the same, Gavin. There's like I know for a lot of trainers and owners, like, I wouldn't be that pushed about. I'm just glad I don't have to go, put it that way, because it wouldn't be any fun.
0: Uh, well, what about the trainers and owners then? Like, like obviously, the competitive side of this for them Like, is the preeminent thing. But, like, do they – like, they are losing part of the experience as well. You know what I mean? When you're speaking to trainers and uh, and owners, like, are they – Looking forward to this festival with the same sort of feverish anticipation, or is it does it lose some of its gloss as well for them, even if they are planning on having winners and so on? That there won't be thousands of people there to see, they won't have that same sort of festive feel. It's more not a box ticking exercise, but it is just about completing it, and people will be watching from home, which isn't the same.
3: What what county are you from, for example? Cork, right? So, say, say, like, say Cork won the All Ireland final, um, the other day or whatever, and there's nobody at like, um. Like the the build up of an All Ireland final day, like I, I saw Galway win the All Ireland in twenty seventeen, the whole part of it is the build up, the atmosphere that 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 hours before as you, you you meet people and 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 just that raw emotion of the crowd there. Like if you go to Cheltenham, it it takes over the whole town and um, like the and villages around it for miles and miles. It's all about Cheltenham. It's absolutely flooded with Irish people. Like there must be I think about a third of the crowd is Irish, which is staggering really. Um, th- and so, if you go over to Cheltenham this year and you, you happen to have a runner, like y- y- you'll be celebrating to a tumbleweed. You know, it, it's there's absolute. It, it's, it'll just feel completely surreal. Um, and as much as it has become the new normal, like there're nine, sorry, eleven months now of race without crowds. Like Cheltenham is about coming in and the roar that the crowd will give a good winner, like Ambois Alain or Shishkin or popular horses winning a Gold Cup. Winning it, winning a Gold Cup this year and coming in with not even an applause, it's just going to be weird. And like, with all the complications of travel and all that, like, it's it's understandable that people just aren't quite as arsed this season and they're just waiting for the Norman children to come back next year.
0: That being said, though, if Cork were to win in All-Ireland, you'd have 15 players and backroom staff and so on going absolutely mm. mental on the pitch. You Like, it, it will obviously mean a significant amount to And we've seen it in, across a plethora of sports. People are well able to celebrate their own achievements as a team, as a group. Do you, you anticipate that will be the same for for the guys over there, or are you saying that will it will actually detract nearly from their enjoyment of winning as well? Just the fact that that sort of festival spirit and and the adulation from the crowd isn't there.
3: I will, like because you know there there aren't many race meetings where the where the jockey kind of like lets out this you know extreme emotion passing the winning line. Like it, it very rarely happens in an Irish race that the jockey show any emotion after a winner. Like even even at punches Down, it's it's you know, they they don't always do it. Pretty much every jockey who wins a race at Cheltenham um, puts his stick up to the crowd or starts waving to the crowd. Like, it, it's a completely unique meeting. And any jockey who says it it wants to detract from, like, granted, if you win a Gold Cup, you win a Gold Cup. But there's nobody there. I mean, so, you, like, you're going back into, like, the, the one of the most iconic scenes at Cheltenham is the shoot into the winner's enclosure after where the the jockey and the horse go in and they're basically surrounded by this mass of people, many of whom are having a good time, by the way. Like, lots of pints are being had. Like, they're in it's a raucous atmosphere. This year, you go back in, Gavin, and it's just silence. All you hear is, like, somebody who's excited on the tannoy trying to create an atmosphere that just isn't there. So, of course, it it, it, it definitely detracts from it.
0: Let's talk about the actual races then. And uh, You mentioned the Gold Cup, but obviously uh, is the headline race. But also, like, there are... Couple of strands to this one. You've got Album Photo, who is looking to join, become the first horse since Best Made, I think, in two thousand and four, to have won uh, three in a row, and and sort of join exalted, exalted company in that front. But then you have other, like uh, a previous winner, uh, Native River, who beat Santini uh, only recently. In uh, you'll have to tell me where that was now. I'm not forgetting. But uh, like what I'm asking in a very long-winded way is, can Album Photo be stopped this time around? When you consider as well that when in those last two races it's been different, there have been almost different means of winning it. Like, wasn't it 2019? It was kind of like a there was just a more sort of blistering race. Last year had this incredible finish, but it felt like uh, it was run more tactically, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, like it's it's the two arts you mentioned there, Nate River and Santini. It's funny, like, you know, considering the the kind of I don't know the, the the reputations those horses have like it's kind of hard to consider either for the Gold Cup this year really. Um the race I'm just looking back how long ago the race was now at Sandowns like 6th of February. Native River was good that year. Colin Titler has had a pretty poor year and um I've been very disappointed in Santini. I fancied him for the King George and he just looks very slow um albeit he does perform at Cheltenham. Um but Album Photo um he was kind of unheard of two years ago. Last year he went into the race the exact same prep um, and he did the job nicely, but there are there are layers to the race this year. And um, you know, I'm I'm thinking about Champ. I thought his performance um, the last year was was really really encouraging at Newbury. It was a brilliant comeback run. He jumped great over two miles. Um, and you know, there's a lot of question marks about him. He won the RSA Chase last year. Um, absolutely came from out of the clouds, like one of the most improbable victories of all time. And his jumping has been an issue, but he he did everything right. Bar win really on his comeback, and he looks a major major player now. Absolutearity is a short price, but. He's hard. It's very hard to knock him. Like he's jumping, is brilliant. Um, he knows the course like the back of his hand, and um, he'll be he's the horse to beat. But I, would be looking for something at a bigger price, Gavin. To be honest. Well, like, okay, so like, you're you're
0: looking at something, uh, or you're looking for something at a bigger price. But like, is there? I I don't know. Like, is there an expectation that Albion Photo can win three in a row, or or is there an expectation actually that, converse to the last couple of years. Uh, there might be an, a, an element of uh, performance dropping off or some of that chasing back to him you'll be there uh, catching up with. Yeah, I,
3: like, is is the race, is there, I remember my, my point to take them on last year was I thought the race was an awful lot deeper. Um, this year, I don't know if it is much deeper, but like he's, in fairness to William Hill now, their top price is 3-1, to one. Um like he's to take on champ is coming to second favorite Aplutard uh, is third favorite now in fairness, neither of them ran in the race last year, and Aplutard has proved a bit of a revelation over three miles his victory at leopardstown um after that, then you're kind of into the territory of like Manella Indo was disappointed at leopardstown last time I thought i I fancied him for the gold cup and i I thought he'd, he i thought he he would this was his season there, there, it's really, really hard to pick a hole in album photo Gavin like he's come back at tremor as much as he was beating horses that he basically beats he jumped brilliantly William Mullins was absolutely purring after the race and um, it's hard enough to oppose him it's just he is short enough price and things can go wrong in the race well it's an extreme jumping test um, and I just prefer to look at something at a, at a slightly bigger price but he whatever beats him probably will win
0: What about the champion hurdle then I think Honeysuckle is the favourite there what kind of a race are we looking at in terms of depth and uh, are there sort of other horses that you would point towards as being better value for money.
3: Yeah, this race has become fascinating to be fair. Like I I really don't like this idea of these mayor's races at Cheltenham with Mayor's Hurdle, Mayor's Novice Chase, Mayor's Novice Hurdle, blah blah blah. I don't I don't think they're particularly memorable. Um and bizarrely then you've like Honeysuckle uh who who essentially avoided the champion hurdle last year to run in the mayor's race. She's now taken on Epitant, another mare who won the champion hurdle last year. So effectively, the two best horses in the champion hurdle are actually mares, which is bizarre considering um, the mare's hurdle is there. And that race might be left to Concertista. But Honeysuckle was awesome at Leopardstown the last day. I'd probably pick some holes in the horses that were in behind her. Um, Son Robb, he's just kind of out for the season now. He's been disappointing and nothing got into the race. Abacadabras has had a disappointing campaign. Um, but this race has real depth to it because Goshen's performance at the weekend was was really, really encouraging. Now, he would have won the Triumph away about 40 lengths last season, but for coming down at the last, extremely unlucky. And after a pretty poor campaign and um, a couple of spins in the flat, um, he was brilliant the other day. And he's come right back into it now. And he is into, into 100 to 30 with Hills. That shows like – so he's come from sort of out of the clouds in terms of the season he said, But he was brilliant bring bring back abacadabras abacadabras nearly beat shishkin last year in the supreme he travels really well at Sheldon. gordon Heli- gordon elliott's horses were sort of out of form and um, i think you back him at 12, 12 to 1 as much as i'm not very keen on his finishing effort you're going to get a massive run for your money and um, i don't think that's a bad call at all if you are getting involved in the race and um, but the two mares honeysuckle she's a brilliant attitude gavin she's apparently just turned into a complete like madam at home she's the boss she knows how good she is and she for a horse who kind of just doesn't off in her race. She was extraordinarily good at, at Leopardstown. I think Epitant um, has a massive, massive challenge on her hands this year, and she's been usurped as favourite now as well. She's 72, uh, third favourite with Hills, which is which is uh, an industry outlier, I think.
0: Troy uh talk to me again about depth and what you anticipate there. Uh, is anna here, if I'm pronouncing that right. You are indeed. I haven't heard it said out now. Uh, was favourite with Hills last time I checked, just before we came on, I presume that's still the same. Uh talk to us about the trying for hurdle.
3: Yeah, nine to four favorites. In fairness, I can't, it's very hard to knock Xana here. He was a good horse on the flat, um, but he's just been flawless over hurdles, and his last win at Leopardstown was achieved in a race that wouldn't have suited him. Uh, really, he's he's a horse who stays well as much as he does of a turn of foot. He's he can do it basically anyway. He loved the ground. The only reason you'd be taking them on, really, again, is his price. He's 9-4 with Hills, like, um, Calixios is stable, mate. I wonder will they go with the, the Fred Winter with him and just keep the two of them apart, because he might well win the Fred Winter. French Asile is a horse I tipped up in the 42 um a while back after he won his... Um, made in hurdles. He one he's made in hurdle by 21 lengths and the form has worked out fine. He's moved to William Mullins. A little bit surprised that he hasn't run since. Small concern, but um, my suggestion would be to back French seal at 8-1 with Hills at the moment and Tritonic at 11-1. Tritonic is a horse who would be rated about 20 pounds ahead of here on the flat. Now, it doesn't necessarily compare, but he jumped brilliantly. Um, he jumped really brill- well at Ascot in his hurdle and debut. He's going to run at the weekend um, in the Adonis, I think, which is going to be the four-year-old hurdle. Uh, and the Adonis will tell more about where he's at but he looks a really big contender for Alan King who's won the race twice, twice and I, I think it's actually turned out to be a bit of a crack in trying further but they'd be my two if you couple them you're I suppose you're on about a 5-1 to one shot of thereabouts
0: Not too bad uh, Other sort of hot pots as you might put them I know you mentioned Mbois uh, Alain uh, the Shishkin who I think you referred to earlier as well Monkfish uh, I'm kind of just naming horses here but where else like where else can you see sort of value in this festival or who else do you anticipate do you yeah
3: well, um, I, I suppose in the supreme i'd give bally adam a good chance each way uh he's seven to one with hills i think he'll win a big race i don't think he should be as big he is uh, as he is compared to appreciated if you're looking for Uh, Sort of a good thing treble. I I can't see how Shaqenpore was beaten in the Arkle at this stage. I thought he's in the Queen Mother. Thought he's France Leversand the last day. He did it slightly differently, and it's been a bit of a worry how he finishes the race for me. But I I think that was kind of put to bed. Leversand the last day. Put in Mungfish in the RSA Chase. I absolutely love this horse. He's flawless. He jumped. Brilliantly, he finds plenty for pressure. Came from an improbable position, really, when headed to win the uh Albert Barton last year. But he's a far better chaser. He's jumping, it's absolutely beautiful, a sight to behold. And then throwing on while in the marsh chase, he's he's basically gone by. I think the three of them I'm really looking forward to seeing. Shishkin might have a challenge. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he bolted up. I think he could be special. Um, he might have a challenge with energy mean and obviously all mankind. but. Um if you want to put the four of them in, you're going to probably have a great run for your money because and, and they're just th- four absolutely special chasers. Uh,
0: before we wrap, just give us your your tips for those uh, three races that we touched upon.
3: Yeah, first. uh, gold cup. Who are you going with? I'm going with champ in the gold cup, uh, Tritonic in the triumph. Uh, we have three selections in the grade one races, and Bally Adam in the supreme. And uh, what are we talking? Chance about six to one, Tritonic eleven to one, Bally Adam is seven. So if the three of them come in, um, basically yeah, we can all go on holiday together when all this is over.
0: <laughs> that sounds good. I hope the sense of anticipation builds over the next few weeks. We'll do a proper, yeah, more in-depth preview on the point with you, Johnny, uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Now at this stage, it is rolling around fairly quickly. But thanks a million for that. And thanks a million for your contribution to the football chat as well. Much appreciate
3: it. Not at all, Gavin. Yeah, and as you mentioned, once we get closer, like the buzz will be there. But uh, I guess um uh we've been lucky to have racing, to be honest. It's been it's been great to have it, and uh I'm still absolutely buzzing to see these horses run, and hopefully we'll have a good anti-post uh, preview in the meantime.
0: Superb. Thank you as well to David Snade and to Miguel Delaney for joining us earlier for the football chat. Thanks to you at home for watching. This has been the point. Brought to you in association with William Hill. Remember to gamble responsibly. uh, And visit donlouis.net on how to do so. Until next time, mind yourselves, take it easy.